This is the Green Industry Podcast with Paul Jamison. Join Paul as he chats with today's green industry experts and leaders about how to build a successful business and live a purposeful life. Here's your host, Paul Jamison. Well, a warm welcome from the beautiful state of Georgia. I'm Paul Jamison here in hot Atlanta, and uh, we're joined today with Corey Ballard from Iowa, who owns a full-service site management company. Corey, welcome to the show. Yeah, glad to be here. Glad to be here. It's actually pretty warm here in Iowa. It's 87 degrees uh, right now, and it's supposed to be 95 today, so we're getting a little heat. A little heat here as well. Awesome. Well, you guys are crushing it. Just checking out your website, recognized as a top 100 company, and uh, where you are today, though, it wasn't all always that way. Uh, share briefly what your outfit looks like today, but then I want to get uh, back to when you were a teenager and how it all started. Yeah, so today uh, we're a full-service site management company. Um, our headquarters is in Des Moines, Iowa. We also have a branch in Omaha, Nebraska, and a branch in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Um, and uh, so we've, uh, we do full-service, mainly commercial uh, lawn care, landscape construction, um, and a big piece of our business is snow removal and ice management. Um, uh, currently have, I think, just under 200 employees. That changes on a, on a regular basis. But uh, uh, So we've got a, a great team of people um, that, uh, that run the day-to-day operations. And, um, you know, we try to really set ourselves apart from the competition by uh, creating a great partnership with our clients and bringing value and and, and being different than what's out there, you know, the, the stereotypical, you know, guy, you know, guy in a pickup truck. That's that's not who we are today, but we certainly were at one point. Absolutely. Well, tell us how, how did it all start uh, back when you were a teenager? Well, you know, it's again, it's not unlike a lot of guys starting up, uh, you know, in our business because, you know, it's a, it's an easy business to get into, uh, generally speaking, from a financial uh, situation. So, you know, we um, I started at 14 years old. I, I just I wanted to make some money and I started knocking on doors and I used my dad's push mower. And um, so I started going door to door and, and looking for some uh, grass to cut. Just that simple. And, uh, you know, so uh, did that. And by the time I was 16, I had a full time mowing crew. And, uh, you know, I had maybe 20 or 25 accounts and I would mow after school on all weekends and uh, continue to grow that through high school. And, and by the time I was a senior in high school, uh, I had a couple mowing crews. And, and so I had mowing going on while I was in actually in school. I had some guys out of school that were mowing for me. And, uh, you know, we were in a great community that was growing. Um, and there was a lot of opportunity. And, and we just, uh, I just went out and I hustled. You know, I, I talked to a lot of people and I, um, you know, uh, worked hard at it and, and, and was able to, I was able to actually convince people to use us that maybe, or use me. Um, I think about it now at, you know, a 16 year old, 17 year old kid coming into a commercial facility and asking for their business. Um, and it worked most of the time. Um, you know, people had, I must have uh, portrayed enough confidence that we could take care of them and, and we did good work. And, um, you know, back then we, certainly didn't have great equipment, but we still did, did high quality work. We did what we said we were going to do. And, um, and we were fair priced, obviously in the beginning of all business, you know, you gotta be, you know, price is very important in the beginning of a business and, until you can build that, you know, brand recognition, you've got to be competitive at least, um, price wise. And so we just grew that company. Um, and, uh, you know, over the years it continued to grow and when opportunities presented themselves, um, I was never cared to say, sure, we'll take that on. And, and, uh, and we just continue to grow over the years and, uh, and, and added crews and added irrigation and then added landscaping and, and then, you know, eventually added snow removal. And, and that's changed. You know, snow removal in the beginning here in the Midwest, uh, a lot of guys look at snow removal as, you know, how do I keep my guys busy in the winter? And, and we did that for many years. And, and today our business model looks different than that. 
um, snow removal is is our most profitable division and and, and our largest division. And um, but that takes years to kind of figure that out and understand your business model and and what does that what does that look like? Because you know a lot of guys will uh, you know they, they they think the lawn care is 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 where it's at, and then the snow removal is kind of just a subsidy of. Well, if I do the lawn, I kind of got to do the snow, and uh, and so our business model has certainly evolved over the years. So now you're at two, you know, roughly 200 employees. Can you break that down for us? Who's in the division of the lawn care? Who's in the snow plow division? Do they cross? Do, do they do? Is it the same laborers doing both? And uh, give us a little breakdown of of your 200 team members. Sure. So one of the things that we do different um, than most is we keep almost all of our people on year round. And, and that allows us uh, to keep great employees. You know, it's very tough when you lay guys off to bring them back, um, you know, especially when you're they're committed to you and you lay them off in the winter um, and you you lose those guys. So we've changed our model um, quite a bit to um, keeping our guys on. Um, you know, we also use a lot of what we call service partners. A lot of guys refer to them as subcontractors. So in a typical snowstorm, we may have six to 800 people working. Um, all of those are not our employees, but we partner with great guys that are in uh, um, other industries, maybe dirt work, snow, uh, you know, concrete guys, a lot of guys that have equipment and great employees and and we team up with those guys, and that allows us to grow our, our snow model uh, much larger without having the full infrastructure of, of, you know, several hundred more pieces of equipment. And so we keep our people on, and, and that's, a, that's a challenging commitment. I, I talk to a lot of guys that are smaller, and they say, I just can't afford to keep my guys on in the winter. And I say, well, boy, can you afford to lose them? You know, and that's one of the things that I talk a lot to guys about is, you know, you can't start up every April 1st with no employees. And and so what does your business model look like and how can you somehow figure out a way to keep your guys on board? And because uh, you're going to lose good employees if you can't, you know, you got to understand that those guys need a paycheck in the winter. And um, so if you can create other avenues of revenue, whether it's holiday lighting, snow removal, tree work, whatever that model looks like for your region. Um, for us, we found a lot of success by keeping our people on and keeping them committed. Um, and, and our model goes down to, we go down to 32 hours uh, in the winter, but we don't give them um, as many hours unless, of course, it snows. But we certainly try to keep those guys on board, and, and that's that's been successful for us, um, showing them that we're committed to them, and then they stay committed to us. Absolutely. Well, I know that hiring the right team members, the stereotypical lawn care laborers, unreliable and a little rough with their character. I'm sure you've learned over the decades in building this company. How have you attracted and um, maintained and kept quality team members? Well, it's challenging, just like it always is. You know, our, our turnover rate um, through the years sometimes has been 50 and sometimes it's been 100 percent. So we've lost a lot of people over the years. And, and so we've worked really hard the last couple of years to create a culture um, um, to celebrate our employees, give them a great workplace to show up to, uh, quality uniforms, quality equipment. Um, we try to do simple things, whether it's a pancake breakfast on a Friday or bringing pizzas in. We try to treat them different and make them feel like they're a part of something special, um, feature them in some of our marketing and, and really tell a story about what makes Perpicut different and um, uh and, and, and make them feel like they work somewhere where they're, they're recognized um, and, they're, and they're important. And, uh, um, and that doesn't work for everybody. We've certainly lost people um, over the years where uh, maybe just, just a paycheck is all that's important to them. And if, if it's just about a paycheck, maybe we're not the right place for you. Um, but we try to pay top industry wage. 
Um, we, we do some, uh, you know, hiring sign-on bonuses. We do a lot of referral programs um, where guys, uh, you know, you know, because guys hang out with guys that they know that probably work in like industries. And mm-hmm. so if they're hanging out with their buddies on a weekend and they say, hey, I work for Perfect Cut and, you know, I work for Joe's Lawn Care. And they say, hey, why don't you work over here, man? We got a great company. We're treated great. And we got quality equipment. And um, and so we try to create a place that people are excited to work at and they're proud to work at. Um, you know, and when they throw on their hat, you know, maybe it's on a Saturday and they're going to a kid's ball game or a, or a church or a golf outing, whatever it may be, that when they put on the, they put on their hat, that they're proud to, to be a part of something uh, that's unique and special. And um, it doesn't always work. You know, we're, we still struggle just like every company does to, to find great people and keep great people. Um, and, you know, sometimes you just run your course. Sometimes guys um, you know, we know that we're not an end game for everybody. Um, and that's okay. We, we've lost some people this year that had a chance to go on with the union or wherever it be. And and we wish them the best. And I hope that when guys leave our company, they leave better. Um, we also try to do some, uh, um, life skills. We bring people in to talk about, you know, how to, you know, how to better manage your money. And, um, do you have a 401k and do you have healthcare? And, and here's how we can help you with those things. And, um, a fitness program. Here's a discount at a local fitness gym if, if, if fitness is important to you. We pay people to quit smoking, uh, which is kind of unique. Um, if you don't smoke, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll pay you extra uh, to get healthy. And we just do a lot of things that we think are unique and, and hopefully show that we care about our people because uh, healthy employees uh, that love what they do, um, as you I'm sure know, um, they take pride in their work much more. They take pride in the company that they work for and and so we try to think outside of the box and, and bring, um, bring a more professional attitude. I think a lot of guys just, you know, I, I get really frustrated when guys say, you know, everybody out there is an idiot and nobody wants to work hard. And, and they're all, they call them these, you know, derogatory names. And I say, man, is that how you talk about your employees? Your employees are idiots because you're the guy hiring them. So if they're an idiot, what does that say for you and your company? And I, I really get offended by that. Like I, we don't talk about our people that way. And that does we just don't, we, we really want them. And we love giving guys second opportunities that maybe had, maybe they got in some trouble in the past and that doesn't mean they're a bad person. Maybe they made some bad choices and uh, we try to give them a place that they can be, uh, they can grow and be treated well. And we, and we also try to give them a career path and we say, Hey, uh, you know, if you do this, you can make this. And if you get this certification, you can make this much more. And if you get a CDL, and we try to give them a path to uh, better in them, you know, themselves. And even if that means they don't stay with us, we want them to leave our company a better person than when they started. Absolutely. Well, that sounds very inspiring. And I'm just curious, as a man who is a leader of 200 uh, employees, how do you handle your work-life balance of being an entrepreneur and you know having all this responsibility on your shoulders? How how do you manage your family life and your uh, just overall well-being with having such um, so much on your plate. Well, I can tell you, I have great people around me. So I, um, I had a guy join me um, years and years ago that worked with me, and and he had a great uh, knack for sales. And him and I just really understood each other well. Um, and I eventually made him a business partner. Uh, and today he runs the day-to-day operations. I've backed myself out of the day-to-day operations so I could focus on the 
the Ballard side, the, the innovative products. And, um, but we put great people in place, um, and we trust them, and we let them, we let them make decisions. And even when the decisions sometimes are wrong, we let them make wrong decisions. And then we walk through, like, you know, why did you make that decision? And maybe next time let's try it this way. And so we really empower our people to almost feel like entrepreneurs within our own company. And um, so every department has a manager, and, and we let them um, make decisions. And, and part of their compensation is based on their performance of their division. And so we give them ownership um, in their decision-making and, and, how, and, and how they treat their people and, and how, what, what do they purchase and why do they purchase it and, and how does that affect the bottom line. And we kind of always have this thing we talk about, which is, you know, wants versus needs. You know, we all want more stuff, but what do we need? Is there a better way? I mean, I want, you know, I need four new trucks. Well, do you need four new trucks or do you want four new trucks? And, and you know, can we fix these two up and will they work? And um, can we get an extra year or two out of this machine or that machine? And so we really empower our people to, uh, to make their decisions. Um, I can tell you through the years, um, it's been challenging. We work a lot of hours still to this day. We work a lot of hours. Um, it's a tough business. All, I think all businesses are tough, but we have, uh, you know, we have all elements of weather and employees and equipment and clients and billing and collecting. And um, so I think the lawn care business in general is a, it, is a pretty tough business to be in, especially if you want to be successful in it. So can you explain the strategy of, you, I think you mentioned you're heavy on the commercial side. Why did you choose to go that route? Um, it just it took us time to really understand our business model, and I think it's important for each person to understand their business model and what it looks like. You know, we, we needed to figure out where we were best um, and where we could get the most value for our, our time. Um, for years and years, we did all residential and a lot of residential. And um, as that business model changed, we felt like we could service the higher-end commercial uh, much better. We felt like they weren't um, always looking for the best price, but they were looking for a better partner to take care of their facilities, uh, especially when it comes to snow and ice management, when you've got a lot of risk uh, for slip and falls and those types of things. So we felt like we could put together a program that, um, you know, one of the things I always say is, you know, we sit in our meetings and we say, boy, uh, you know, what if we lost customer X? I want them to sit in a meeting and say, what if we lost Perfect Cut? You know, I want them to feel the same value uh, having us take care of their facility that we have in taking care of their facility. So you have to create a win-win um, partnership so that uh, and bring value. Um, and I talk to guys about bringing value. And if, it, if your only value is that you're the lowest price, um, that's not a good long-term program. And, and I know you got to be priced right, especially in the beginning, but um, creating, you know, creating value. And we felt like commercial made the most sense for us. Um, you know, we, the quick, you know, the best example I have is, you know, we can have one commercial site um, that may be the equivalent of three or 400, you know, residentials or small commercial. Like we're not in the hotel, gas station, mini strip mall. We don't do that type of commercial work. We like, you know, our business model is large industrial, medical plazas, um, industrial. You know, we feel like we're really good at that. And it's also, uh, for us, 
uh, it's a strategic advantage because it's hard for the next guy to get in. You can't just knock on the front door of a, um, you know, a large commercial facility and say, Hey, who does your lawn care? It's, it, it's very hard to get in. And so once you're in, um, and if you do the job that you sold them and you do a high quality job and you create a great relationship, um, you can have those customers for life, um, versus the bid, the bid world where you, maybe you do HOAs or a bunch of small commercial and they go out to bid every year. And it's hard to create partnerships that are lasting, um, when you're in that bid world. What have you found to be the most effective way to do billing with those big commercial, you know, industrial, uh, facilities? How do you bill them and when do you get paid and all that? Sure. Uh, so we bill twice a month. We bill the first and the 15th. Um, the nice part about most of our largest um, largest uh, clients are they have typically their own billing software, um, and so we just submit into their billing software. That has greatly reduced our collection problem. Um, as many companies struggle to collect their money, um, I did it. We did it for years. We'd have these meetings every Tuesday, and we'd go through this huge AR list and who's on our 60 and who's on our 90 and who's on our 120 and and uh, and we also had to look at that and, and figure out, you know, we'd have guys say, that's a great client. I'd say, if they're so great, why are they always on our 120? If they're so great and they value the partnership, why don't we get paid on time? Um, and are we billing on time? And are we billing accurately? Um, are we having conversations about add-on work? And, and so, um, you know, we bill twice a month. That certainly helps our cash flow. And we bill in the front. So we bill, uh, so July's coming up, right, next, what, couple days from now. We bill July services, July 1. So we are always billing ahead. Now, our model's a little different because we bill, um, we have a flat rate billing, so uh, most of our stuff is seasonal. So company X pays, you know, they pay this certain amount, and that includes, for just talking lawn care, that includes, you know, 28 mows. You know, your irrigation startup and shut down and service and includes your lawn app program and includes. So we we went to a um, flat rate billing program, and that certainly helped um, helped our cash flow. Um, the customer's not surprised when they get an invoice. They know exactly what the month of July is going to cost them. Um, you know, if it, if it rains and you get one less mowing, no big deal. If it's Maybe you got one extra mowing, and that's just kind of part of the deal. Um, we found that that program works really well for us, um, and we're not trying to bill one off and one extra this, and maybe we pruned and maybe we didn't, and and then they get this bill, and then they don't. They have a question on did it get done, did it not get done, and um, that also slows down the, the ability to collect your cash flow. And as we all know, cash flow is 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 really important. And I talk to a lot of small guys and they're like, I'm too busy to bill. And I'm like, man, if you don't collect your money, you might as well go fishing. Like, man, you, you, you do all the hard work. You've got all this expensive equipment. You're out there busting your butt. Billing is so important. Um, and billing accurately is so important because otherwise it's all, you know, what are we doing it for? Absolutely. Well, circling back around to the incentivizing your team members to have top performance, you mentioned the pancakes and the pizza for the, you know, the basic laborers who are cutting the grass and edging and blowing and doing that. And then with the the guys who are making the actual decisions on equipment and, you know, running these divisions, 
have you found that, you know, sharing your profits with them, that's what motivates them to, to, you know, do their best or what, how do you incentivize those guys who are really basically running the company? Yeah. So they have some baseline, um, performance, uh, what we kind of call key indicators. Um, so we have, you know, baselines set that say, you know, this, this division should make X margin and, um, anything above that. So here's our, you know, here's the floor. It should make just for easy math. This department should make a 10% net. And for everything over that, we will share with you. So our baseline's X. Um, and so we can share in the success. And so they take ownership on how they run their, their people. And what does overtime look like on a Saturday? Should I run my guys Saturday? I know they're on overtime or, um, you know, we used to just kind of have this open checkbook philosophy. You know, they just, they needed something, they bought it. They needed something, they bought it. Overtime, who cares? Because at the end of the day, if the manager's paycheck doesn't change, why does he care about buying extra stuff that maybe we already had some or, or looking for uh, better, more efficient, more effective ways to get things done? If, if his paycheck's the same either way, um, you know, so I think it's important that you align your people with your goals. And, and that can be all the way down to the field level guy, um, all the way up to your, to your operation managers, to your key people. Um, we've found that bonus programs, when built right, they've got to be built right. I mean, they've got to be a win-win. You can't give it all away. But um, we've found that that's been very, very um, successful with our program. Um, and, again, they take ownership. They almost feel like they've got – they run their own division and they get to be entrepreneur in, you know, in their own little world. Um, and we don't micromanage. We can't micromanage at this point. So we have to give them the power to make decisions day to day that, um, that influence the bottom line. And, um, we're not perfect, you know, by, excuse me, by any means, we're not perfect, but, um, little things just, you know, I'll go to a gas station sometimes and I'll see four or five of our trucks parked at a gas station and, you know, we have everything in our facility they need, ice, water, pop, Gatorade, you name it. And then they leave our shop at 720, and they, the first stop's a gas station. And, you know, what did that just cost us? You know, there's six, eight, ten guys sitting at a gas station having a conversation, and we might not get to the first job site till 9 o'clock. We might have lost $400, and we haven't shown up at the first job site. And, and so those are the things that if you can really manage those, those pennies add up to dollars and dollars add up to thousands and they make a big difference. Do you have like GPS tracking in the trucks or how do you let the foreman know, like you got to go from the, the shop to the first job site? How, how, do, how do you manage that? Yeah. So we have a lot of tailgate talks in the morning. We, we, we do a lot of communication with our guys and our tailgate talks consist of safety. Uh, what's going on out in the field? Is it hot? You know, uh, make sure you're hydrated. Um, but we also, yeah, so we have GPS um, on their phones. Everybody uses a, a device now that uh, we can track what's going on during the day. We can make sure that they're taking the best route. Um, and we're getting better and better at that. We had GPS in all of our trucks at one point, And we found that unless you really had somebody that could sit down and, and monitor a screen all day long, that we weren't getting value out of that. So I think it's about communication. And then we also have to share with them, Hey guys, you want raises, right? Everybody wants to make more money. I can't give you raises 
unless we perform better. And, and by performing better, I mean being efficient, not doing site damage, not doing equipment damage, and not taking, you know, three, four, five breaks during the day, you know. And, and we share with our – all of our jobs have a set hour rate on them. So to simplify it, if you show up to a mowing site, it says this job is slated for 2.25 man hours. They know exactly how long they have to perform that job. And I think that was a big uh, indicator for us, a big factor for us to show them what that job is budgeted for and, and can they meet that budget. And sometimes we might have misbid it, but they, if they can perform that job in that amount of time or under, um, you know, we can incentivize them. Now, there's some challenges there, too, because as we all know, if you incentivize guys to go faster, uh, guess what they do? You know, they cut corners. They, they maybe don't do the quality job. Um, so if there's callbacks, uh, so that's, that's always a challenge. I think each company has to make decisions based on how they can monitor the quality because when you incentivize guys to go faster, that brings a whole other element of managing quality uh, to the forefront. Now, when you're at 200 team members, how what rhythm have you found, Corey, to really review these numbers and to make sure you're hitting the profit margins you're wanting to, make sure you're hitting the efficiency that you want to? What have you found works the best to really navigate all those numbers? Yeah, good question. Um, it's been a work in progress. Um, so we have a daily kind of a daily dashboard that we monitor. We look at sites that are going over hours, um, and then we wonder – uh, first off, do we have the right crew? Do we have the right equipment? Um, you know, what were the conditions? Maybe it was long, maybe it was wet, you know, if we're just talking mowing, maybe. Um, if we're talking landscaping, were all the materials on site as as expected? Um, was it muddy? Um, you know, what happened? Why did that job go over? So we have kind of a, um, a red line in there. If a job goes over hours by a certain amount, um, we pull that job specifically and look at it and try to figure out what happened. Did we misbid it? Did we have the wrong crew? You know, did we have the wrong equipment? Did we send them out when we probably shouldn't have? You know, and, and, and so we try to hopefully use each one of those examples uh, to get a little bit better each time. Um, it's not perfect by any means. Um, I have a, um, a COO in place, and her job is um, she's an operations um, manager, and she – she reviews this stuff like, I mean, she is a Nazi on it. She is, she knows the numbers. She is all over the performance daily. Um, because, you know, the problem is a lot of guys don't get the information until it's too late. And that included, included us for many, many years. You know, I wouldn't get the financials for June until July 15th or July 20th. Well, that, that month's over. I can't go back and fix June. So, it's very important that you monitor that stuff on a pretty day-to-day basis. Um, and then you make adjustments accordingly fairly quick because, um, you know, you, you, you can't go back and fix two months if, if you don't know what's going on. And, and so, um, you know, understanding your numbers and making sure you understand your price model and what is your true overhead and, and what do guys truly cost you and um, what does the equipment cost and, and, um, I, I don't think most small guys spend enough time doing that, and that included us for many years. It was just go do the work, go do the work, go do the work. Oh, by the way, are we making any money? You know, are we? Did, you know, are we making? Oh, we're not. Well, shoot. Now what do we do? 
you know, uh, and the easy answer is we'll just raise prices. Uh, And that's not always the answer is what can we do to get better? Absolutely. Well, I'm curious what now where you're at in your life, if you could go back to that ambitious hustle in high school, Corey, who's, you know, in year one, what would you tell him? Oh, good question. Um, you know, I, I think, I, I, well, it's a tough one. You got me there. You know, I think we would have probably worked harder on our systems than we did on our selling. We worked really hard just selling, and, and we didn't say no. We never said no. And I think today one of the biggest lessons we've learned is we say no a lot. And you can say no politely and just say, hey, you know, I appreciate the opportunity, but that account um, doesn't fit our business model. And, and for many years we just said yes. Everything was yes. We'll do anything for anybody, anywhere. Um, and and now I think knowing what I know today, um, I would have understood the numbers a little bit better. I would have made sure that uh, we made sure that accounts fit our model. Um, and and sometimes you don't always know your model. Your model always changes. You know, you look around at every business, big businesses even. I, Target went up and tried to you know set up targets in Canada and failed miserably. And Target's a huge company. Um, you know, big companies still make mistakes. Um, so I think it's important to, um, I, I think I would have um, made sure that we had a little bit better structure in place because uh, we struggled like most companies do with billing and collecting. We were doing all this work and we had all this money owed to us. We had great clients and great employees and we had no cash. We just had no cash because it was all owed to us. And, and uh, we didn't have a good way to collect we weren't billing on time. Um, so I, I think I think for me, I, I, we would have spent more time making sure that we had better structure in place because um, it's fun to grow a company. Uh, the hard work is is in the details, and, and I'm not that great at that. I admit I'm not that great at that, but I have people who are today. Um, so if you're not great at that, find people who are, and I think – one of the mistakes that a lot of guys make is um, they take themselves out of what they're best at. Um, if you're the best salesman for your company, then be the best salesman. If you're the best field guy, then be the best field guy. But, you know, sometimes guys will say, I'm not in the field anymore. I do this or that. And I'm like, but you were the best field guy. Like, um, make sure that you know, and, and there, there's a lot of ego in that. Make sure you know where you're best. Be honest with yourself about where you're best. Um, I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. Um, and you gotta sometimes just be very self-aware of, um, what are you, what are you best at? And if you're not great at something, get somebody who is, um, and be honest with them and say, you know what? I, I, I suck at this. I'm not good at the numbers or I don't, I don't understand budgets or I don't, you know, I just love doing the work. Well then get somebody who is good at budgets. get somebody who, who can run the numbers before you buy equipment, get somebody who can do some pricing models for you. Um, and, and those things will make a huge difference. Cause as you know, a lot of times in our business, um, guys aren't, they're not building businesses, they're building jobs. And at the end of the year, they find out that, man, they might, they could have probably made the same amount of money just working for somebody else without all the headaches. Right. That's so true. So Corey, what is your day to day now? look like Monday through Friday or, you know, I heard you in the past <laughs> mention you work on the weekends. What's a day-to-day life 
in uh, your shoes. Yeah, I like. just left the office on a Sunday morning. I was in the office at six thirty on a Sunday. I work seven days a week if it, it if it's required. And because when you love what you do, um, I like I like working. Um, I enjoy what I do. Um, so I uh, I stepped away from the day to day at Perfect Cut um, March first. Um, I have a, a again I, I mentioned I have a great business partner who who has bought into the company and um, I trust him fully. He's, he's a brilliant guy and uh, we have great people in place. So my day to day now looks like, um, you know, I'm in there and I'm working on um, innovative products. I'm working with our partners. I'm trying to come up with better solutions. You know, I want to professionalize our industry. I, I don't want it. It's a little bit looked down on, you know, I talk to guys that say, you know, I'm, I don't want to go to college, but I told my parents I want to be a landscaper. And it's like, oh, you might as well be a garbage man. Um, I, want to, I want to professionalize our industry. I want to bring people um, up. I want to help small guys. I get a lot of emails. Some guys are starting up businesses, and they're asking me, what should I do here? Should I buy a truck? Should I lease a truck? You know, should I add a second crew? How do I get guys? And, and so I enjoy um, – giving back and trying to help people at least share my experience. Not that I know it all. I certainly don't. I just know where we failed. And um, so my day-to-day now looks, um, you know, I'm working a lot on, on customer service and trying to bring great products to our industry um, and, you know, hopefully make people's, you know, days a little more effective, a little more safer, efficient, and ultimately, you know, then more profitable. And, um and I enjoy that. Uh, I still get out in the field occasionally. Um, and some of my best ideas come from getting out in the field. You know, I get out there and I'm like, God, there's gotta be a better way to do it than this, you know? And, and then I start kind of brainstorming like, Hey, what if, what if this machine could do this? Or what if, what if there was a better way to do that? And, and, and I enjoy that part, uh, of our business. And, um, and I enjoy talking to people. I, I love, you know, doing podcasts and sharing our story. I love taking phone calls from guys that are, um, you know, struggling with the day-to-day grind that we all go through. And if I can help those guys, um, it's not even about selling them product. If I can help them and, and someday later they want one of our products, fine. If they don't, that's okay too. Um, you know, just, I want our, you know, I want the lawn care industry to continue to succeed. I want to, con- you know, continue to pro- you know, professionalize it. Um, you know, I don't want it to be looked at as just the mom, pa, go to Home Depot, buy a lawnmower, and now you're in the lawn care business. And, and I think there's, um, there's so much more to it than that if you, if you want to be successful. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate your time today, Corey. How can folks connect with you and your products and uh, your activity online? Yeah, so, um, you know, our, our website is ballard-inc.com. We've got about 90 products on there right now, everything from, you know, mower accessories, trailer accessories, um, We've got gear, safety gear. Um, we've got a lot of stuff that, that we sell. Um, the cool part about what we sell is we use it. Um, I don't sell anything that we don't use. Um, I get pitched a lot of products, um, and I turn down a lot of products because I've got to believe in it. I've got to use it. I've got to understand it. Um, my name's tied to it. So, um, you know, we're on, obviously, Facebook and Instagram, and, and we try to we try to put out a very positive message. Um, I control the content on Facebook and Instagram a little bit more than a lot of guys like, you know, some people say, well, you took down this, all this stuff. And I said, listen, guys, you know, I want to create a place where it's positive. Um, I don't mind negative criticism as long as it's done with tact. Um, I won't allow disrespect. Um, I won't allow cussing. I won't allow, um, 
you know, these derogatory things going on. So we, we want to put out there an inspirational, positive message. Um, we want to show people kind of gritty, you know, how it works in the field. And that's why our videos, if you watch any of our videos on Facebook or Instagram, they're not professionally done. We shoot them with an iPhone. We want you to, we want to show them in real life, real scenario. We also give a glimpse into perfect cut quite often, um, show our safety meetings. We show our crews pulling out. I want to show them, uh, some inspiration, but I want to show them that, you know, we're in the same business you guys are. We're doing the same stuff you guys are, um, and we found some great solutions that, that help our business daily. And, um, you know, and if you email me direct, I, I put my email on there. I, I answer every single email the, to the best of my ability. Um, I try to, you know, I help guys with stuff that, um, and, and they're blown away. Like, I can't believe you got back to me. I'm like, well, I get back to everybody that I can and, and try to help them with, with their questions and concerns. And um, I get a lot of guys that are, you know, 14, 15 years old, starting mowing companies. And they're like, Hey, I just, and I just, I'm like, man, awesome. I love what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. And, you know, here's some, here's some tips and here's some pointers. And, um, you know, if we can help guys in our industry, that's, that's rewarding for me. That's awesome. Are you going to be at the GIE Expo in Louisville in October? I am. So we don't do a booth there anymore. I did a booth for probably 15 years. Um, I don't do a booth, you know, with social media, we can reach a lot of people with our products. Um, I enjoy GIE cause I get a chance to just go around and talk to guys and answer questions. We're going to be doing some Q and a with, there's a couple different panels I've been asked to, to talk on. And, um, and so I love just getting out there and talking to guys and, um, and you know, when you're, when you do a booth, you're kind of stuck in a booth and, um, I love that I don't have to do a booth anymore. Boy, I did it for years and years. And, um, you know, uh, there's certainly something cool about that because you can show a lot of product. But um, I like, you know, I like the chance to network with guys and, and shake a lot of hands. And um, I feel like guys learn a lot more at those at those trade shows and networking events just by just by talking to their fellow peers and, and talking about what works for you, what works for me. Um, you know, if you can pick up a couple things, that maybe you can take back to your business and, and, and implement those. Um, I think that's valuable. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate your time, uh, Corey from Iowa. And um, this has been a, a lot of um, information. I'm really thankful. Hopefully we'll have a part two because I feel like we're just warming you up. You could probably go another hour here with everything you've uh, learned along the way. Yeah, we, yeah, I could, I could talk forever. I, I love our industry. I love what we're doing. Um, you know, I'm pretty passionate about it. If you, can, you, know, if you can't tell and, um, you know, I'm excited about it. I, I love what we're doing and I'm happy and, and you know, and, um, I, you know, I, I enjoy, I enjoy what we're, what we're able to do. And we've got tons of really cool products coming that I hope guys are going to be excited about that I think are complete game changers and I'm excited to bring them to our industry. And, um, but yeah, I'd love to at any other, you know, at any time, if you, if you want to bring me back on, I, I'd, I'd love if you've got guys that ask questions and, and they want to know uh, things that we didn't touch base on today, I'm 100% open to, to jumping on at any point and uh, trying to address uh, any questions or concerns that guys have on a day-to-day basis. And if we can help them, man, that's awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time, Corey. Yeah, I appreciate it.
Hey guys, this is Paul. Thanks for listening to that episode. I really hope you were encouraged and learned something as you listened. I want to say thank you to everybody who's been subscribing to the show. If you have not subscribed, make sure you hit the subscribe button so that when we drop future podcast episodes, it will come right to your devices. And also, I wanted to say thank you to everybody who has taken the time to drop a review and a rating. In iTunes, it's a five-star ratings. Um, so thanks to Jensen18 for the five stars there and uh, the kind words. He says he uh, listens, and it's very enlightening and entertaining. And uh, shout-outs from Austin, Texas. Uh, Poppy Greg 512 thank you. A uh, 22-year-old, young in business, and uh, listens to the show, dropped five stars, and a uh, very nice paragraph there. Uh, with some kind words as well. It means a lot in the old iTunes algorithm when you take a moment to drop a sentence or two and uh, leave a a review. So if you haven't subscribed, subscribe. If you haven't left a rating review, please drop a rating and review. And as always, I really appreciate seeing you guys share it all over social media. It means the world to me. I take a lot of time to try to produce as quality shows as possible that we can listen to, not just for the companionship of having a nice show to listen to while we work, but to actually, when we're done listening, to actually have learned something and to apply it into our future and into our life. And so I appreciate you tracking with the show and uh, drop a rating, review, subscribe, and share the show. Appreciate you. We'll be back. Ladies, at Essential Health, you're not just a patient. You're a partner in your healthcare journey. We'll get to the heart of your health questions, even the ones you're embarrassed to ask. We'll find solutions to fit your unique needs and lifestyle, because here we're in it together. Feel confident in your care and in yourself. Schedule a women's health appointment with an Essentia Health provider today. Click the banner to learn more.